So church family, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these moments where we get to hear your voice. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A working definition of mercy is God relenting from due punishment or penalty. And mercy is what I want to talk to you about through the lens of God's word and in the world today. And I came across a big example of mercy that goes back to World War II. It includes two pilots. One was an American named uh, Charlie Brown. I didn't make that up. I don't know if his co-pilot was Linus, but Charlie Brown. And the other was a German named Franz Stigler. Now, Lieutenant Brown had just uh, finished a job bombing Bremen, and it was successful. In the process, the B-17 that they were flying got all shot up. It was not doing well. Here's a picture of the crew that was part of that B-17. And Franz Stigler, he had the assignment to make sure the job was done, to make sure that that plane went down, to eliminate the threat. When Stigler flew his plane and found that B-17, instead of eliminating the threat, he did something you don't see in war. He relented. Instead of shooting it down, he guided them to a safe zone, an area not occupied by the Germans. It is said that he even saluted Lieutenant Brown on his way out. Now, Stigler told a big fat lie saying he had eliminated the threat. But what he did prove was mercy. In fact, 50 years later, uh, Charlie Brown went and found Stigler, and they became friends until Stigler died in 2008. It's a pretty big example of mercy, isn't it? How do you do with mercy? I, I was thinking of a way to gauge the temperature of your mercy, and I thought of a smaller example, not war. I, I thought about going to a restaurant, and I don't know if this has ever happened. Have they ever gotten your order wrong? Now, I realize that as a paying customer, you have the right to say, hey, this is not what I ordered, this is not how I ordered it. But the temperature of your mercy might have been if you have ever, or maybe you know a spouse who has ever, or a friend who has ever, rather than saying, you know, I ordered a burger, not a chicken sandwich, I, I ordered it medium rare, not medium well, is eating it anyway. Because it's just food. And maybe you saw the waitstaff was hurried or busy, and yes, you did pay for the meal, but man, sometimes the world is just better with mercy. You know, when it comes to uh, another definition of mercy, um, it's our first fill-in. Mercy is a powerful display of love, and, and yes, at Amazing Love, we like to talk about love. <laughs> In fact, does anyone remember the definition for grace? Grace is God's undeserved love. And grace is seen when we see people who we don't know and we still offer a handout or a kindness. I think mercy takes the idea of love even further because my definition of mercy is unfair love. There is no fairness when I relent from the punishment, the penalty that you are owed. It is an unfair love. And something that I recognize is that we have been shown mercy. Do you have any examples of mercy in your own life? Maybe for you, it was um, in your parents' household, and, and you broke curfew, and, and you know that breaking curfew means you can't go out the next weekend, and, and that's what you saw older sibling. But for whatever reason, maybe it was because you're the youngest and laws relented, you were able to go out even though you broke curfew. That's mercy. 
You have a mercy in the classroom, maybe. The whole class bombed a test. And because of it, most of them should flunk out and fail that class. But instead, you know what teachers can do? They can grade on a curve. Do any teachers still do that? That's mercy, friends. <laughs> you did not deserve that. The world is made better by mercy, isn't it? I don't know what story comes to your mind, but it's like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. That was amazing. And that's what I love about a Christian church. See, I don't know what you know about this organization, but it is in this place that we get to be about God's crazy love, God's unfair love, God's undeserved love, God's amazing love. And mercy makes the world better. We're to be a people who love mercy. In fact, that was so clear through the words of uh, the prophet Micah. And Micah was telling worshipers what God really wants in worship. And, and he was saying it's so much more than the outward. That when it comes to worship, it doesn't really even matter the sacrifice you bring. It doesn't really matter the song that you sing. What matters in worship is what's going on in here. Your heart. And so Micah said these words. He said, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Not sacrifice. It's way bigger. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I loved thinking about the juxtaposition of acting justly and loving mercy. Because here's what acting justly means. Acting justly means that I'm going to pay all my debts. And I'm going to make sure that I am above board in all things. Right? I'm going to operate from a sense of fairness and make sure that I do my best to get it right all the time. That's acting justly. But then he says, love mercy? That's the opposite of justice. <laughs> and we scratch our heads like, how can I both hold myself to a high standard and yet when it comes to other people, love the idea of letting them off the hook? How? What are you talking about, God? The only way I can reconcile this is through Jesus Christ. Consider God Almighty. Every day that God exists, he is acting justly, isn't he? Holiness means he can't get it wrong. Holiness is this idea that on everything, he is doing the right thing all the time. And yet, even though he's acting justly, doesn't he love mercy? Isn't he the God we've come to worship because when it comes to our sakes, he looked at us and says, I don't want to give them the due penalty for their sins. No, no, no. I want to treat them better. And we find that because of the cross of Jesus Christ. What is the cross? Romans tells us, in God's forbearance, he left the sins beforehand unpunished. But because of the cross, he is now just and the one who justifies. You and I who need mercy every day that we live. And you have it. But we get to talk more about how this looks in our world, and we're going to learn through the lens of Jonah. And to get into week three of Jonah, just a reminder of Jonah's character. Uh, Jonah is the one who needed grace the most and wanted to give it the least. Uh, Jonah's not the hero, friends. We're going to see that especially next week. Uh, Jonah is slightly praiseworthy this week, but not incredibly so, as we'll talk about. Um, Jonah's not the hero. No, God always is. God's mercy. Today, though, what's interesting is the example we get to learn from and, and someone to model is the heathen nation of Assyria. The Ninevites actually show us what to do today and what to put into practice, which is head-scratching but incredible. So let's get into it. If you have a Bible, feel free to open it to Jonah. 
uh, Bible app right now um, in your worship folder. We love it when people make notes or take this home, so get to know your Bibles. But I'm going to read from the screen here and just invite you to follow along. So it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, and a fast was proclaimed. All of them, from greatest to least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. He showed mercy. As we continue, can you say out louder to your neighbor, mercy triumphs? Mercy triumphs. That's awesome. Have I said it's good to be here yet? It's good to be here. It's good to see you. So I don't know if anyone remembers a character named Andre Agassi. Just a quick raise of hands. Andre Agassi fans... He had style, friends. Just uh, look at this picture. I mean, he was rocking the mullet before it came back for like the second time. That's when he had hair. Uh, He lost that, maybe as punishment for the mullet. I'm not sure. Um, But he was a great tennis player. Uh, Some of you know he was uh, U.S. uh, men's tennis player number one. In fact, he went to the Olympics and he won a gold medal. Uh, He won eight majors in his career before he retired at age 36. But something you may not know that was revealed after retirement is this. He hated tennis. So good, but hated the sport. In his autobiography open, this is what he says. He says, I play tennis for a living even though I hate tennis. Hate it with a dark and secret passion and always have. That's not what you expect, is it? Right? That someone so good could also have a seething hate for what they do? But then again, have you ever experienced that in your own life? Have you ever seen that you are really, really good at something that you don't like doing? (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about. You, You know you're gifted in this area, but I do not like doing it. Right? And the reason I bring this up today is because when it comes to Jonah... Jonah does not like what he's doing. (laughs) Have you seen that yet? So Jonah does not want to be a missionary, does not want this call from God. The only reason he does go to Nineveh is because a big fish swallowed him up and spit him out, and God basically course-corrected for him. So Jonah does not want to do it. I think about this when it comes to the church. If you had a pastor come to you into your community, you're like, you know what, I really don't want to be here, but I'm here. You probably wouldn't have a lot of respect for that pastor right? Because Jonah would even prove, not only does he not want to be a missionary, he has no love for the hearers. If you look to chapter 4 next week, you're going to see that he's going to wait and watch and hope for their destruction. 
No love. Okay, so he didn't want to go. He doesn't love his hearers. And I'm going to dig in on a third point that only heaven will prove. I don't think he's a good preacher. Yeah. In fact, the way I prove it is through the message that the Bible records. When it comes to his message, I don't think it's clever. I don't think it's eloquent. I don't think it's wise, compassionate. This is all we know about the message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Jonah is equivalent to this guy with a sandwich board sign saying, the end is nigh, and I'm not sure how effective you think that is. And go with me here, the one who didn't want to go has no zeal in his heart. The one who has no love for his hearers. The one who wasn't particularly good at the craft he was supposed to do goes down on record as one of the most successful missionaries the Bible records. <laughs> the fruit of Jonah's ministry, it is larger than the fruit of Jeremiah's ministry. It is larger than most of the Old Testament prophets who come with nobility and come with sacrifice and come with God's prophecies much larger than 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, Pastor, where are you going with this? I'm glad you asked that. In our own lives, we look at serving the Lord. In fact, it was prompted just in a small way at Amazing Love. We have volunteer sign-ups, and man, we'd love for you to get involved. And, and here's what I know happened maybe this week, or here's what maybe have happened in the past. You say to yourself, I can never serve in the church, and here's why. I'm not any good at it. Or here's why, Pastor, you know, I'm... I'm not a finished product. Maybe if I take some steps first. Or, Pastor, here's another one. Like, I was judging my heart. I'm not sure I'm feeling it. And when it comes to all of those, God needs none of them to use you effectively in his kingdom. And so a feeling is this. That God doesn't use perfect people. Otherwise, no one would serve. You'd have no pastors. You'd have no volunteers. You'd have no missionaries. God doesn't use perfect people. He simply works with the willing. I don't know how many times I've had the discussion about sharing the faith, and it's something we want to do as a mission church. And a similar conversation takes place. Well, pastor, like, I don't have all the answers. And I tell him, I don't either. <laughs> pastor, I, you know, it feels awkward. It feels unnatural. I know, every time, Right? Pastor, I'm not sure I'm called to this. Yeah, well, I would argue with that. Because <laughs> he doesn't need you to be perfect. He just needs you to be willing. He just needs you to cross the room and talk to someone and maybe share your own testimony about God, your own testimony about the church, and invite them. He's not waiting for you to become a perfect product. You know, Paul put it well as he was talking to the Corinthians, and if, man, there was a congregation that wasn't perfect, it was the Corinthians. <laughs> Um, and, and he gives this beautiful imagery. This is, this is what he says, people and, and uh, uh, the, the image before it, just the jar real quick. That we are, are these jars, and, and the thing about the jar is, the jar isn't beautiful. It's not the thing we're supposed to look at. What, what's beautiful is what the jar is carrying. That there's a treasure inside of it. And so Paul said in the verse, he said, so we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so part of the reason I think Jonah might be so successful is because who gets the glory of the story? It ain't Jonah. 
It is so clear that God was on the move, and that is why Nineveh was saved. That is why they came to the Lord. And and this is so important because, uh, can we agree, we live in an era of rock star pastors and celebrity praise bands. Now, now get me, I love people who are used greatly by the Lord. I love a D.L. Moody, a Charles Spurgeon, a Martin Luther. Um, That's amazing. I love new worship songs. Anyone else? I love that artists are saying, I'm going to use my gifts and inspire God's people to praise. But what I don't love is sometimes we mix up who's moving. Because who's moving is not that person, it is not that band, it is God who is using yet another clay jar that holds a precious jewel. What is praiseworthy is that jewel. And so for you, Signups are still there. I don't know how this lands in your life. All God needs is someone who says, here I am. And I believe he will use you. To dig in more on that, I, I, I think of those um, celebrity praise bands. In fact, I, I heard of people going to concerts. Uh, anyone been to a Christian concert before? Christian concert. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's awesome, Right? Chris Tomlin, Phil Wickham, Brandon Lake. Um, I, I have good friends, Koine, that are putting on a concert today. It is amazing when we get inspired by these new songs to the Lord. In fact, uh, something I do in my routine is I start off every morning, I tell Alexa, play worship music from Spotify. I don't know if anyone else does that. And, and there's this song by Shane and Shane that has this lyric that is sticking in my mind. The song is You've Already Won. And, and here's the line. It says, I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. And I love this idea that, like, I have work today. I have work to do every day that I live. I, I'm fighting today. But not without the knowledge that God's already won. That God is working all things for the good of those who love him. So back to Jonah's story. Does Jonah have something to do? For sure he does. Jonah has to go through, through Nineveh and, and preach his message But who's going to win the battle? It's God, isn't it? In fact, one of the most incredible verses of this whole section is this miracle. The Ninevites, can you say that word? They, that's a miracle. A pagan nation who, who doesn't know the Lord somehow believed upon the Lord. That's amazing. We call that faith. And think of how faith is accomplished. Faith is not accomplished because of anything that was in us. Faith is accomplished as part of the grace of God. In Ephesians 2, it makes it so clear how faith comes to us. Look at what it says. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So basically, spiritually speaking, we are dead things that cannot choose to come to life. But God is working through his word, through baptism, so that dead things can be made alive. In fact, I believe that out of all the greatest gifts God has given you, faith is that greatest gift. If you confess Jesus is Lord, that confession is not made except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Martin Luther had some great words about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he said this. He said, I believe I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. 
but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and kept me in the true faith. And how that applies to Jonah's life, how it applies to our life, is Jonah, yes, he has a battle to fight, but the war is already won. Jonah has a job to do, but it's not as big as what God needs to do. In fact, here's the, first, the next fill-in. That God's mercy is found in requiring the heavy lifting to be done by him. And if you sign up for church or if you share your faith, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see that all the real battles he needs to win, you can't win them anyway. Conversion, soul change, life change, those are things that only are accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. He just invites you in to be a witness to what he's going to do. And it's marvelous. And so the Ninevites believe upon God. And because faith is established, they can then do a fruit of faith. That fruit of faith and something we can learn from is called repentance. Repentance. Which brings me into a sober topic. Um, What do you think the saddest thing is that happens in the church? What is the saddest thing we witness in the church? And no, it is not when we run out of donuts. I've been pastoring 15 years. I don't know what Pastor Jeff would say about this. Um, But I, I would say, and this is not because I'm better, the saddest thing we ever encounter in the church is something we call impenitence. Impenitence. I sit with couples sometimes. I'm honored to do marriage counseling. And there are sources, there are symptoms of of what's in the heart. Symptoms like adultery and symptoms like addiction and symptoms like conflict resolution. But the true source, I believe, that happens in in a breakdown is impenitence. What is impenitence? Impenitence is this idea that you can't tell me what to do. You can't work on me. In fact, the only way this gets better is if they change or the situation changes or the explanation for my activity changes. That's all that's going to happen here. And it's sad. When people cannot see what's going on in themselves. In fact, I believe it's what leads people to walk away from the Lord. There might be symptoms of the source, symptoms like a love for a sin or symptoms like a slow fade. But the true source is that in their hearts they said to God, you can no longer tell me what to do. I will not listen to you on this or that. I will not be guided. Don't talk about that. And the sad thing is that because of our pride, sinful nature, At one point or another, we all have that feeling, God, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want to hear what you say. Please stop working on me. But we need to turn from this. We need to recognize that it is a proclivity, but then also turn and turn towards the Lord. And so we get into the example of the Ninevites, and what is that example? When they hear this word that they would be destroyed, the wrath of God is coming. Look at what happens. The king says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So they're doing two things, two parts of repentance. The first thing they're doing is they're saying, God, I'm sorry. I know you see it. We call that contrition. 
The second thing they do is they say, I don't want any part of my violence. I don't want any part of my sin. It's ugly. It's horrible. I'm going to fight against it. But you know what they didn't know? It was the character of God. See, in this account, they have no idea whether God will destroy them or not. Whether God will bring the hammer or not. They're doing whatever they can without an understanding of the character of our God. Here's where our repentance is better. When we come to God and we say, I'm so sorry. And I don't want any part of it. You know what the answer from heaven is, right? You're forgiven. You're on a right standing. As often as we turn to the Lord, so often does he turn to us and say, there is peace because of the cross of Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? In fact, I love the identification in heaven that um, whenever a sinner turns to repentance, you know what happens, right? The angels throw a party. The angels rejoice. And so repentance is so powerful. So powerful to use in our own lives. In fact, I was thinking of how God's mercy has shaped my life. Um, I've been walking with Pastor Jeff for a while now, almost uh, two and a half years. And uh, one of the things I love is just how he carries himself. I've told him time and time again, even more than what you do is who you are. And one of the things I've learned from Pastor Jeff, where he knows it or not, is that um, there are times in my spiritual character when I can draw all the chaos and all the bad and all the dysfunction and think it's my fault. Have you ever been there? Like all the bad, all the dysfunction, everything that's going wrong, I'm like, yeah, because I'm a sinner. God needs a payment for that sin. But then I listen to Pastor Jeff and whether you know this passage is stuck in my mind or not, it doesn't matter, because it has. Pastor Jeff shared with me Psalm 103. And it says this. But Dustin, you know the character of God, and, and if you've ever had that struggle, you know the character of God, don't you? He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. I mean, if he did that, if we were being honest, you wouldn't be alive. If, if he did that, you would have no good thing. But God is merciful. He loves to treat us so much better than our sins deserve. So we have a fill-in, our next fill-in. God's mercy is found in treating us better than our sins deserve. And this is the motivation for godly living. It is not the law of God. Jonah is not in Nineveh because of the law of God. He's in Nineveh because of the mercy of God. You and I make progress in our faith, not because we're compelled by guilt and shame, but we're compelled by the goodness of God who has been so good to us, giving us time and time again to try to get it right. In fact, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon about how mercy works in our life. He said, when I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. When I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think I could ever rebel against the one who loved me so and sought my good. You are loved. You're always going to be loved. Every time you go to the cross, you're going to be forgiven and you're going to be put on the right standing. And from that standpoint, go and love people and love God. You have another chance to get it right. 
because Jesus had another picture of mercy. It wasn't from World War II. It wasn't about a restaurant. (laughs) No, he had this picture of a man who owed an unpayable debt. And in that story, at that time, they couldn't declare bankruptcy. They they couldn't just say, I'm going to get a credit knock and start again. No, when Jesus told this story, the hearers knew that when you were in that kind of debt, you could be imprisoned and they could sell your family members as slaves. That's how they could reconcile debts in that day. And so the one who owed this debt had this unthinkable thing like, well, maybe he'll just show mercy. And it's a Hail Mary of all Hail Marys. So he goes into the master and he gets down on his knees and he begs, please, could you just cancel that debt? If you know the story, you know what happens. The master said, it's no more. Go. There is winning the lottery and then there is this. That day he could go back to his spouse and say, hey babe, don't worry about slavery. That's pretty awesome. More than that, financially, everything he earns, he can now pocket. He doesn't have to worry about paying it back. This is incredible. And Jesus tells that story with some people in mind. You know who he had in mind, right? He had you in mind. And he had me in mind. When we repent, we go to that master and we say, please, I know I can't pay it. There's not even a chance I can. And he says, get up. It's canceled. And this can change our lives. Because the point that Jesus is trying to make is that when I do this to you, go do it to others. There are going to be people in your life that need the same gift that I just gave you. Go out and love mercy. Even when there was a debt, go out and love putting them on a firm standing. Change the world as you act as just as you can while also loving mercy. Your next step for today is to use the power of repentance to make sure that you're going often to that master and remembering he cleared your debt and then going from that place and saying, oh, wow, what just happened to me, I want to give to the world. May God empower you to do this. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding may guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, at this time we have the opportunity just to encourage one another. Uh, We do that through the uh, Confession of Faith, uh, Christian Creed. Uh, Today we'll use the words of the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, And his kingdom will have no end. 
we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.